0: Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the Senior Pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect Word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Welcome back to our study of the book of Colossians. You can head over to chapter 2, verse 16. The series is called Jesus is Enough. and Today I've titled the sermon, The Promise of Freedom. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that the challenge of teaching verse by verse is that the preacher must teach every word and every thought, even the topics that are difficult and controversial in society here. We must keep in mind that God's Word is not difficult or controversial in heaven, it's already been settled there. God said it, we're going to teach it, and we're going to obey it to the best of our ability. We need to both study and, and pray, and in doing so, coupled with grace and, and humility, we find what God wants to teach us, and that's how we learn the wisdom of God. When I say the word freedom, I would imagine that almost everyone in here went to the form of the word that our founding fathers struggled with some 246 years ago when they were uh, writing those, uh, those amazing documents that they wrote. President Ronald Reagan said that we are never more than one generation away from losing our freedoms. And in his statement, I believe it's clearly being played out today, in America our freedoms are not so much being taken away from us as they are being forfeited by you and I. And it's time that we stood up and took some of these back. How do I know that freedom is waning? Well, The warning signs are flashing brightly on the dashboard. A man bought his first diesel truck when he arrived in Idaho, and he was warned that diesel engines don't operate well in sub-zero temperatures due to the the problem with fuel. Uh, You have to add a special additive to it. Forgetting the warning, he and his wife filled up with the regular diesel fuel down here in the valley and went up to visit friends in the snowy mountains in January to visit them at their new cabin that they had invited him to. Coming out to their truck the next morning, uh, the man discovered that it wouldn't start. <clears throat> he called the Ford dealership there in this little tiny town and described the problem with the mechanic. and The mechanic asked him if there were any warning lights illuminated on the dashboard. And the man said, no. He said, wait a minute, though. There is one light I've never seen before. And the, man, the mechanic said, describe it to me. And he says, well, it, it looks like a man using the facilities. <clears throat> the mechanic said, excuse me? He, he says, uh, yeah, it's what it looks like. I'm sitting here looking at it. And the mechanic said, send me a picture. And, and here's what he got from the man. I don't know about you, but that looks like minus four degrees to me, so. (laughs) Uh, I found out that diesel fuel in my truck, the mechanics, oh, I'm telling on myself. (laughs) He said, if you were were able to look inside your fuel tank right now, your diesel fuel would look like a block of jello. It's completely insoluble, and, it, and your truck's not going to run until you get it up to a, a, above zero. And uh, so we had, to tow, we had to tow our truck uh, 100 miles. <coughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> uh, but if you put additive in it, it works fine. <laughs> and why life has many warning signs... It's important to know that some of the signs uh, are spiritual, and we need to pay attention to those as well. And they involve spiritual freedoms, and that's what Paul's talking about here. The false teachers in Paul's day were teaching a false doctrine that placed the freedoms that Christ had purchased for us back into shackles and chains, they believed, thereby incarcerating the unsuspected believer, the, the young believers in Christ that were being sucked into this. There are spiritual warnings in the Bible, and Paul lists some of them right here in our passage, and we're going to talk about uh, a few of them this morning. Warning sign number one, don't let others judge you. Don't let others judge you. Verse 16, let's pick up there. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Now, Paul warned believers, the church, to look out for the spiritual wolves that were twisting the word of God to make it what they wanted it to say. Their doctrines were a blending of Christianity, Jewish law, uh, Eastern mysticism, and um, oh, the fourth one was Greek philosophy and And what they took they took those four things and they blended them together. Yes, Jesus was an important um, teacher, yes, they acknowledged that, but you need to add Jewish law to the, his teaching, you need to add men's philosophy because we got some pretty smart guys, you know Plato and all of them, and then Eastern mysticism had come in through uh, uh through the far east into greece and and if you took these these four Teachings, you know, put them all together. You got a hybrid. You got this super wonderful religion. And um, man is always attempting to complicate what God has made simple. Amen? We have the Word of God, you know, with us. And yet sometimes we make it so difficult on ourselves. God set up the Jewish law to reveal to His people how uh, incapable they were of keeping the rules of, ho- of His holiness on their own. It was a picture of their need of a savior. God held up the mirror and said, you know, how you doing? This is what I require. These, this is the law. How are you doing? Well, any human being that, that understands anything would look at the law and go, I can't do that. I can't do that. If you violate even one of these, you're guilty. And the punishment is death. Well, it doesn't take any, anybody you know, with a, a lot of degrees to figure out, I'm in trouble. The law was best described as a mirror, as I just described it, to point men saying, you can't do this on your own. You need a Savior. And so you take Genesis through Revelation, all 66 books, that thin red line of the Savior is in every book. And they, God was telling His people that you need a Savior. You can't do it on your own. You can't be perfect. You never could be, and you never will be, without the Savior. With the exception of Jesus, there's just never been a perfect man or woman that's ever walked the planet, and there never will be. Man's attempt at keeping God's law is always a futile proposition. But this is what the false teachers were peddling in these young churches and there are many of them around with us today. Virtually every other religion outside of the one you know, that, that is Jesus Christ himself is a futile attempt at working their way to God. It's what, what must I do for God when God is saying, I've already done what you need in Jesus Christ. And trying to be good enough is always a, a fool's errand. It never works out in the long run. We are free in Jesus and Jesus alone. And trying to be good enough is, is always a fool's errand. We are free in Jesus. We are free in Jesus alone. You see, there's no other way to the Father. We need to go through Jesus to be set free. The gift that Jesus offers is the exchange of our sin for his robe of righteousness. We, we exchange robes. The Apostle Paul argues three important truths of freedom here. Letter A, the foundation of freedom. There's the foundation of freedom. Verse 16, so let no one judge you. Now, I was told as a beginning seminary student that when you see the word so or you see the word therefore, um, you have to go back and see what it's there for. You get that? When you say therefore, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean therefore? Well, because, therefore means because of what I just said and what I just taught, because of this is another way to say that. And you could go on with a statement, but I can't understand your statement unless I know what you just said. And so Paul just made a statement uh, that was a, the presentation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you remember, Paul just wrote. Last week that we studied, that all the fullness in the Godhead exists in Jesus Christ. And because of this, he is uniquely qualified to expunge man's sin. Expunge means to remove completely. That makes Jesus the founder and sole provider of our freedom. No one else could make that claim. Look back at verse 14 from last week. Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements. What are the, what's the handwriting of requirements? Well, that's the law that we were just talking about. Those are the requirements. You, have, you must keep the law. He's wiped out the requirement of the law that was against us, which was contrary to us or incriminating to us. Because you remember, the mirror, we could see that this is God's expectation of man, his perfection, and there's no one perfect, It was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. Every Christian in here should be screaming hallelujah. You don't live under the law anymore. I don't live under the law. I couldn't keep it. You couldn't either. No man has ever been able to. Now we live under grace. Jesus Christ nailed the law to the cross, and his grace is enough. Now we're under under God's grace in the covenant of Jesus Christ and grace. Romans 6.14 tells us this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And these young churches in Greece were never under the law since they were Gentiles in the first place, but these wolves were coming in saying that salvation could only be completed by you keeping the law. They didn't even know what the law was. They're over in Greece, right? They're not, they're not Jewish. And yet, here's these Jewish wolves coming in, going, No, 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 no. Yeah, believe in Jesus, that's good, but you must also keep the law, which was impossible, something they had failed at themselves in history. But now, Christ's followers were set free to walk with Jesus, just as the disciples had been set free. And the person that continues to try to work their way to heaven and into salvation is really saying that Jesus isn't enough, thereby judging the creator, the life sustainer, by their own standards, a dangerous and condemning way to live. There is no life, no pardon, and no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. So because of that, don't let anyone trick you into giving up your freedom in him. And Paul's warning, don't don't go back. (laughs) Jesus Christ just just rescued you. He just let you out of the prison of the law. Don't voluntarily go back in. He's already set you free. Letter A, the foundation of freedom. And here's letter B, the prison of legalism. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. See, the Jews had to keep all these holidays. Now these guys were saying, oh, you Gentiles, you need to as well. You need to to keep all the holidays and the celebrations. And the Gentiles are starting to feel this weight of imprisonment again. There's no way around it, though. Legalism imprisons the one who practices it. Attempting to work your way to God is exhausting, and it always leads to ruin. God made the way to Him through His Son, and attempting an end around never works. Jesus is enough, and no thing and no one can ever replace that. There's no other pathway to God, and that's what these people were selling to this—you know, these new churches. Oh no, what you believe is good, but let me tell you how to complete that faith you got to do all these things you've got to keep these hundreds of rules and laws you got to do all the holidays you've got to go be circumcised you've got to and they had this big long list if you do these things then God will accept you and Paul's going no that's not it Jesus Christ he, he nailed that to the cross we're not following the law anymore we have grace now the legalism over food and drink, whether partaking in or abstaining from them, had become a source of one view attempting to imprison the opposing view by condemning them using the law as a club. And that's always what happens when, when, we, go, when we try to get back under the law, then people use the law to club you with it. Oh, uh-huh, you broke that rule smack. And the law—that's you know, the law was never meant to be the all-sufficiency that Jesus Christ brought. There are many examples in the law regard, regarding clean and unclean foods that the Jews were to obey by avoiding them. And, but in the New Testament, Jesus stated that food was now a neutral substance. You know, Jesus came and, and abolished that and said, hey, it's not what, what you eat that makes you unclean. It's what comes back out of your mouth that makes you unclean. Wow, what a powerful uh, story that is. Same thing for wine, for drink. While wine is not specifically addressed here, I'm oftentimes asked if it's okay for a Christian to have a glass. I believe it is lawful, but I don't believe it's always profitable. Be aware that God tells us in Ephesians 5 15, 19, see then that you walk circumspectly, which is up to be aware, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which it is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So here's where I fall on this. And I've studied this three times, and my position hasn't changed. If you come out of an abusive and alcoholic background, uh, drinking may be an offense to you. It was to my mother. She came out of a, an extremely abusive father, a drunken father who would beat her on a regular basis while he was drunk. So it was an offense to her personally. But be wise, listen to the Spirit, and don't condemn your brother who, t- who partakes in it appropriately. To others, I would warn, if alcoholism runs in your family, if you've struggled with it in the past, stay clear of it. Completely. Don't even look in that direction. But again, don't judge your brother who does. To those who can have a glass of wine on occasion without sinning and with a clear conscience, enjoy, but don't use your freedom to offend or disregard those who have made a choice not to partake in it. You know, we make things so difficult sometimes when we want to go back to the law. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one, the other's well-being. So if I have the right to do something, because you know, God has put it on my heart or given me faith the faith to do it, I shouldn't shove it in your face if it offends you. That's what Paul's saying. We have a right to do it, but it doesn't mean it's profitable. It's the, time with, um, it's the same thing with everything in life that isn't clearly spelled out in our Bibles. Let Scripture inform us. Let the Spirit guide us and um, in how He wants us to walk. It's a personal choice. Again, I would encourage you uh, to use extreme wisdom and walk carefully here, because it's widespread use in our society and abuse in our society. I oftentimes said as a cop, if it wasn't for fools and alcohol, we'd be out of a job. That's true. Take those two things away, and we're done. I had a gun done done something else. Maybe I become the pastor earlier. Who knows? So listen to the Spirit, stay in the Word, and walk wisely in all things and the choices that you make. We're talking about the freedom we have in Christ and warning signs to those who would take it away. Look out for these guys. The foundation of freedom, the prison of legalism, and here's letter C, the gift of grace. You see, the law was a shadow of the Savior. The law was the shadow of God. It was a dim picture of a holy and righteous God we serve, but it was only a shadow. This is who God is. And here's the law that he expects us to keep. It was a shadow. We can't embrace shadows. We cannot walk with shadows. And we can't find lasting transformation with shadows. But through grace, we've been given the righteousness of Christ and full access to God himself. We have the one that casts the shadow. We ought to pursue Jesus now. We're looking at the promise of freedom in Christ and the warning signs of the things that threaten that freedom. Our first warning sign was, don't let others judge you. And here's warning sign number two. Don't let others disqualify you from your reward. Paul goes on in verse 18 to say, let no one cheat you of your reward. Don't let anyone cheat you from your reward. That word for cheat means to declare one unworthy of a prize. It's to uh, declare that one is disqualified for a prize. Christians are earning heavenly rewards to the point that we are carrying out the purpose and the mission that God has given us. Did you know that? When we get hung up in the worldly pursuits, though, we don't lose our salvation, but we can lose the rewards that God wants to give you one day when we stand before Him. You remember I said that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get to bypass the courtroom. Now, if you don't, if you don't know Christ, if you reject that gift of salvation, you're automatically saying, I want to go to trial, and I'm going to prove that I never committed a sin, not one. And I can remember um, a time, I was down at Dr. Jeremiah's church, and, and uh, he had done his altar call, and this man in full uniform, who was 80-plus years old, we were celebrating the 4th of July, and he came forward, and you know the music was playing, and I'm standing off to the side, and Pastor looks around, and he finally catches my eye, and he points at me, and he does this. And so I walked over there, and he says, tell this pastor what you just told me. So I invited him to go into the back room, and, and uh, so we could hear each other. And, and these two uh, younger, I thought they were grandkids, turned out to be neighbors that invited him to church. But so all the four of us go, and we sit down, and I said, "Um, how can I help you? And he looked at me and he said, well, I want this Jesus. I said, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I said, let me just explain to you what it is that, you know, accepting Christ is. We've all sinned. You understand that? And he looks at me and he goes, not me. And I said, okay, this is why I always went through that, because I wanted people to understand what salvation was. I said, well, wait, you're not a sinner? And he goes, no, I, I've never sinned. And he goes, young man, and I like that, I was you know, 55. He, sa- he says, young man, I've served in two wars. I've served my country. And I've done so with pride and honor. And I said, I bet you have, and thank you for your service. That, that Man, wow, he had a chest full of medals. Served first in the Army and then transferred to the next war and went into the Navy and I mean, this guy just—he was the ultimate warrior, you know. But he said, I, "I'm not a sinner," and I said, "Okay." He, I said, "Well, let me ask you a couple of questions." And then a lot of light went on, you know, military. Not that all military, you know. I said, "Have you ever lusted after a woman?" And he looks at me and he goes, "Well, I did that on the way into church." <laughs> And I did just, I mean, I couldn't hold my face. I just busted out laughing. And I said, well, if you've done that even once, you're a sinner. And there's no fixing that on your own. And he said, oh. He goes, well, then I'm a big sinner. I said, okay, because we have a big Savior, and he wants to forgive you. And once he understood it, he went, Okay, yeah, I do need I do need Jesus. Then, you know, based on what you just said, I said not me. This is the Word of God. The Word of God says this. He says, "Okay, I'm a sinner, and I want to." And he prayed to receive Christ. Got to baptize. It was a wonderful event. But you either do that, either you are either going to stand in front of God and be judged on your own merit. Look out, or you're going to receive this gift in this lifetime. It's not available in eternity. Once you die, the gift's off the table, it's done, you've been sentenced. But if you receive that gift now, then you get to bypass the courtroom and you go to where the you know the, uh, the trophies are, are handed out. How do we get trophies? By obeying God and using our time, talent and treasure that I'm always <laughs> you probably think I harp on that a lot, and I do. It's so important. But all that we did in this life, is going to be evaluated, you know, for rewards. God tells us, 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Do you remember when the master gave the three servants the, th- the coins? One, three, and five. Remember that? And he says, I, you know, I want you to, to use these. I want you to uh, go out and and, and do what you can with these. No one buries his. Remember, he got chastised. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to his word.